following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. And maybe in the spirit of Sangha, just look around and smile or nod. Or This is our Sangha today, because here we are. So this talk is on Sangha, Companions of the Way. Oh, I should introduce myself. My name is Mira Young. Um, I was, I'm filling in for Mark as best I can while Mark is on retreat, which is an inspiration for our Sangha. You know, when, when we go on retreat, when we go into times of practice together or on our own, it brings an inspiration. So to know that Mark is is um, engaged in, in a time of deep practice. That this time away from the community actually supports our community. Um, my name is Mira, Mira Young, and I've been part of this Sangha, I'm happy to say, for many, 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 many moons. And uh, I've been part of the larger uh, Vipassana community since 1987 and um, prior to that in the yoga tradition. So I teach meditation. I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction. I'm also a psychotherapist at Rivers Way that integrates this into my work. And I, I have an opportunity to bring some of the Dharma into some of the university settings to social workers and other therapists. And folks. So I'm very grateful to be here and, and just um, being able to share about Sangha, I realized how how much an important part it is of my practice. Um, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for the Sangha and uh, the spiritual companions of the way, the friends. The teachings of the Buddha are known as Buddha Dharma or the way of the Buddha. And the, the Buddha said, and you probably have heard this quoted many times, that when the Venerable Ananda asked him about what was important in spiritual life, and I'll quote, it is mentioned in the Sama Samyutta Nikaya that once the Venerable Ananda approached the Buddha and remarked, that half of the dispensation is based on friendship, companionship, and association with the good. To which the Buddha replied, Venerable Ananda, do not say so, not half, but in t- man's entire life is established on friendship, <coughs> companionship, and association with the good. Entire life associated this way. Know. We know from our from neuroscience and from what we understand about how development works and being a human being, we are a tribe. We are interdependent. We don't develop unless we have that kind of connection. It's also described as the monks that lived in unity, talking with each other with mutual friendliness was mixing with each other like milk and water. Milk and water. And seeing each other with pleasing eyes. Lord, 
Someone said to the Buddha, we have diverse bodies, but assuredly one mind. Friendship is a force that has no parallel. There is no other single power that can generate good qualities in a person as friendship with the good. Because after a certain age, children stop emulating their parents and start imitating their friends. Anybody have teenagers? (laughs) Anybody was a teenager? In fact, the Buddha has these names for the unwholesome friends. I kind of got a kick out of this. So who do you hang out with? Do you hang out with the Papa Mita or the Mita Patrupaka? And these are the Paka people. These are the people that might flatter us and tell us all these things, but then they're not really giving us the truth, right? It might feel really good, but we can't really trust that they're going to be honest with us. And then there's the one that literally say, come on, go to the bar, not the Dharma Hall, and come on, let's go do this. And, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, the ones that I would worry that my friend, my son would be hanging out with, you know, like, who are you, who are you hanging with? Oh, no. Well, they're, they're, how are they doing? Pretty good for them. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> this is literally a conversation we had not too much. So, you know, you worry. So the Buddha says there's four types of friends who can be beckoned as warm-hearted and dear. Although on this list I only saw three, but it says four. So I'm going I'm to gender modify this. She, he, who is a helpmate that does not change in happiness or sorrow and gives good counsel and sympathizes. Who does not change in happiness or sorrow. Do we have people that can see us when we're covered with tears and snot? People who can see us when we're filled with joy, even when they're not, and can support us and love us? Do, are we able to, to be that for others? Sangha is often associated traditionally with the, with the assembly of, of ordained, of the company or the community of monks and nuns. Are the noble Sangha are those who attain the, the realization of the Dharma, the stream entry or the other forms of realization who are arahants, um, who, who've had awakening. But uh, the, the Sangha is also been used to talk about the lay community as well. And in the West, um, we, we talk about all of us who are on this path together. Um, the Sangha originally went forth for the blessings of the many folks, for the happiness of the many folks, out of compassion for the world and for the welfare and the blessing of others. So as a Sangha, you know, just just look, like here, right here, we made, we, the Sangha is creating this beautiful garden. And, and look, we're on this busy street across the street from the local tavern. And, and people pass, huh, and they see this beautiful garden. And they see this place. And they see the sign that someone from the Sangha made with the lotus. You know, as we walk in our day, just a little more mindful, a little more kind, we're carrying that with us, the good of the many folk. So we're all part of this this Sangha. 
I was at a dance performance last night, and uh, some very young dancers were performing. And it was very moving, and it just occurred to me to share this with you. This is a young girl named Amy, who's 14 years old, who's a ballerina, who's been studying ballet since she's seven. I don't know this. I read this about her biography uh, uh, afterwards um, when I could see it in the light. <laughs> she said she wanted to dedicate her piece called Fix You, um, that she danced so gracefully with such presence that she didn't realize she was only 14 till later. I noticed her mother and sister were sitting next to me when the lights came on. And she talked about the, the support I've received from the dancers in my community, the struggles in watching them, these young dancers that want to be perfect. And she talked about it so poignantly. And she felt inspired to create this beautiful piece for her sangha, out of love for her sangha and wanting that kind of healing for herself and her sangha. There's so much to share on the sangha. When recollecting the sangha, when you're having a hard time, recollect your sangha. Think about the others who've walked before. You know, sometimes when I'm sitting on my cushion, it's like all I can do to get there, right? You know? You think about all those who've sat there. You know, like right now, maybe some of us are like, eh, I'm too tired, I'm restless, the mind is racing around. But you wouldn't rock out of the room, right? <laughs> Not just because of embarrassment, but, you know, everybody else is here. Do you feel, as I was sitting here, I could just feel the support of everyone sitting together. You know, we can't do this alone very well. You know, it's harder. It, the Buddha says this is the most important thing, is having this community of this like-minded friends. When we recollect the Sangha, at any time when a disciple, and I would add a layperson, of the noble ones is recollecting the Sangha, his mind is not overcome with passion, not overcome with aversion, not overcome with delusion, her mind heads straight based on the Sangha. And when the mind is headed straight, the disciple of the Noble Ones gains a sense of the goal, gains a sense of the Dhamma, gains a sense of joy, of joy connected with the Dhamma. In one who is joyful, rapture arises. In one who is rapturous, the body grows calm. And one whose body is calmed experiences ease and in ease the mind becomes concentrated, which is all the factors of awakening, most of them. When you recollect the Sangha, any fear, terror, horrification you have will be abandoned. Try it. Check it out. Is it true? So, in Sangha, there's this beautiful, um, in the refuges, and I was aware that this is the time of the full moon, where we take the refuges um, of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and that we, we took them, in a sense, today when we chanted the blessings of our practice in 
Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. In the Sangha, there's, I'm going to share a little more about um, the Sangha here, that the Sangha is the third of the three traditional refuges in Buddhism. It is said if we look to the, at the Buddha, we will automatically see the Dharma. One meaning of Sangha is ordained community. One meaning, one meaning of community is those who from beginningless time have realized the truth. And the other meaning is those who, who are dedicated to the truth and good-heartedness, who live for the benefit of beings in their hearts and minds. The Buddha's teaching, as expressed in the lives of Sangha, is never removed from a sense of humanity. The Buddha was a human being who talked about what it ultimately meant to be a human being and to be happy. The teachings guide us to go beyond our power, to go beyond our ordinary sense of limitation and to know liberation, to relate to others with an open heart. When we explore Sangha, we explore what supports us. This is not just some conceptual thing. We really look at what supports us, clears our vision, and inspires us what protects us in life that is committed to wisdom and good-heartedness. You know, in Sangha, in taking refuge in the Sangha, we find refuge from loneliness, from fear. We, we find refuge away from the unreliable refuges that we tend to take, whether it's sleeping or eating or drinking. We go to things to fill up some of those spots of loneliness and need. And it, it's hard, I, and I see this a lot with um, folks in, in, that I see in psychotherapy as well as, you know, just in general. How many of us, we, we don't know if we deserve it. We don't know if we believe that it's okay to reach out. We don't want to bother people, you know. It's fine, I'll show up for someone else, but it's hard sometimes let others be there for us. So, so taking a risk in Sangha might be reaching out, might be actually taking time to, to you know, ask someone, what brought you to the path? You know, what supports you or sustains you in your practice? You know, to connect with other, others that are here, others that we know. In the Buddhist community, one way to take refuge in the Sangha is to remember that we come out of an ancient tradition of awakening, that for over 2,500 years, people like us have been walking this path, and that helps point us in that direction. Dogen said that there's, if there's just one log on the fire, what, the fire will be weak. Whereas many logs make a fire strong and powerful, he said that people can help each other by combining their strengths as they practice. This is one reason we get together in centers like this. So all of us, logs on the fire, logs on the fire that provide the energy, the heat of awakening to take us on that journey. And I have to reference the fact that we might not like everyone in our sangha. And some of the people in our sangha might be really difficult for us, right? Or we might be difficult for them. 
Mark often talks about this, about potatoes in a barrel, you know, and we're, the barrel's moving and we're all are rocks and we start to soften each other's edges. I was at a, a beautiful um, workshop yesterday. Uh, Susan Kaiser Greenland, who works with children, bringing mindfulness with children, the Mindful Child Workshop. And when I walked in there, there were many people I didn't know, some people I recognized, and there were some people that whose hair was grayer than mine, <laughs> graying hair. Um, I won't say why mine isn't as gray as it probably is. Um, <laughs> you know, here we are aging, and we've known each other for decades, and 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 with wordlessly, you know, cheek to cheek, hugging, embracing. I mean, it's just the sense of connection. We've been walking together, and here we are again, gathered together to hear teachings. You know, it just so moving and from different sanghas there was somebody from the Zen Sangha someone from another Sangha um, all over the town were there and then and then I met someone who's in in one of the newer Sanghas I'm in the Turgar and got to talk with her in some of the small group and discovering this beautiful heart of, of a woman who who works with teenagers who try to harm themselves and getting to know her and being inspired by her work and being grateful that she's part of one of my sanghas. That's a good sign because I can get carried away Because <laughs> so, I want to leave time for us to share. Um, there's a beautiful... Um, looking at sangha is also... There's different aspects of sangha that, that I, I think are like nesting dolls. Uh, and Wise Heart, Jack Cornfield talks about the, the, the inner Sangha, the, the, um, the, there's different levels of Sangha. There's the outer Sangha, which is our community of, of awakened beings, the outer reference that connects us to the tradition, as I've been talking about, to millions of followers of the path of the way. There's the inner refuge of Sangha that shifts from the Buddhist community dedicated to all beings to in to that we take an awakening in the stream. So we're part of that stream of awakening. And then there's the innermost Sangha, which we acknowledge the inseparable connections of our lives. The innermost Sangha is the ultimate province of trust. It is voiced by the poet John Donne. No man is an island. No woman or man is an island. Echoed by Martin Luther King, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Thich Nhat Hanh says the ultimate refuge, and this is a paradox, is actually within us. Our own aggregates, our own skandhas, our, 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 our perception, our mental formation, form, um, all of our consciousness, when that's in balance, we come into the Sangha that takes us into the awakening beyond our conditioned sense of self. I'd like to share a little poetry and then open it up. There's a, a beautiful um, quote by Rilke. There are connections which must be very great and almost unbearable happiness, but they can occur only between 
rich beings. Not wealthy, right? Rich beings. Rich beings. Those between those who have become each for each other's sake, rich, calm, concentrated. Only if our worlds are wide and deep can the individual be combined. For the more we are, the richer everything we experience is, and those who want to have a deep love in their lives must collect and save for it and gather honey. John O'Donohoe talks about spiritual friendship, and it's interesting that here's this Irishman, he's no longer with us, who had a deep understanding of spiritual friendship. And he used, literally, had the term Kalyana Mitra in here, which is, comes from Sanskrit and then into the Pali, which is the word, the term for spiritual friendship. The noble friend. He says, the Buddhist tradition has a lovely concept of friendship, the notion of Kalyana Mitta, the noble friend. Your Kalyana Mitta, your noble friend, will not accept pretension, but will gently and very firmly confront you with your own blindness. No one can really see his life totally, and there is a blind spot in the retina of the human eye. One of the deepest longings of the human soul is the longing to be seen. To see, is this true? Is this true for you? Unfortunately, there's no mirror in the world where you can catch a glimpse of your soul. The one you love, your anamkara, your soul friend, is the truest mirror to reflect your soul, the honesty of your spirit, and it is beautiful to have such a presence in your life. So just take a moment or two and reflect on that. Who, who, will, who can I go to that will be the truest mirror that sees me through eyes of love and wants for my deepest happiness and freedom? And how am I able to offer that to others? I have one more little story I want to share while I reflect on that. Yesterday, I had an opportunity. One of my Dharma sisters from the larger Sangha was in town. And her sister just had a newborn baby, barely three weeks old. And I had the honor to hold this little being. And I was there in their living room, and there was my Dharma sister from Madison and her sister, younger sister, and her mother there, and the little baby's grandmother, and her niece, my Sangha sister's daughter, who was five, and the father. And so these different generations, and the uncle who lived down the street, and the other nieces and nephews. And there I was, holding this little tiny newborn with the head small as an orange. And there, in the family, we are all part of the family of things that Mary Oliver says, all part of this family, the Sangha, the Sangha of love.
So I'd like to open up for any of your sharing comments. What comes up for you around this saga? And it's not always so easy to feel connected and like we belong. You know? Yes? Uh, the lot the idea. Yeah. yeah. Reminding me of something that the director told me Beautiful. Did you hear that about the web? That, that like a strand in a spider web. That, that all the web. It's it's all of those strands together that create that web. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, your teacher also could be a Kalyana Mitta. Um, um, I have teachers that, that I also consider our spiritual friends, and that, that a teacher, in a sense, can be our closest spiritual friend, because they, especially if you have, you've opened up, and you, you're, well, you can receive on any many levels, but, but often when you've come not only to listen, but maybe have a, a one-on-one or begin a, uh, that other kind of relationship. You feel like they know your heart, you know, or you feel seen, and you feel that kind of connection. So I would say it can include the teacher, and yet it's also, we are all each other's teachers. So everyone, I know everyone in my sangha is that for me. You know, the, the, the people that are easy to love, that are wonderful, the people that are difficult have been some of the, the best teachers. So, so that sense of our spiritual friends. Um, a friend of mine that I've known for some, uh, probably 25 or more years, her mother just passed away. And there's this circle. You know, we have, we, sometimes we, we, we're friends, but then there's people that are like family to us. And so, like, you know, like 14 of us all sent everything from $10 to $100 to help support, you know, the traveling that she had to do back and forth to her mother's uh, deathbed. And, and just that sense of people who have our back and, and who, not only that, but see us in our wholeness, you know, that love us through and through. So, and want us to awaken, even if it means that, you know, this isn't conditional, this isn't, like being part of a, a, dis, a family where there's conditions, but a sense of, is that, is that helpful? I don't want to just babble on, sorry. Basically, the second question I have, yes. which is that um, the Tao Step Fellowship, yes. there's the concept of the Islam, the Fellowship of all who are seeking that spiritual path. But it seems to me that the, yes. and there is prayer, there is meditation, there is looking inward as there is. Yes. In, but the biggest point of it is sharing your heart one-to-one with somebody else in the tradition or in a group. Here, it's, it's the opposite. The main focus is looking inward. So how can how do you go about building the kind of fellowship and the main point is looking inward rather than sharing outward? It's a great question. And I, 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 I can respond to some things that come. And actually, I think the AA program one of the reasons that it, 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 the beauty of it is is because of that web 
because of the spiritual community of like-minded people pointed towards the goodness to the wholeness that 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 is a, a sangha and so so would some people care to um, respond or reflect on how that works for you here with this inner work yes um, I have come out of the AA tradition and speaking exactly about what, what the questioner just mentioned yes and so I am compelled to bring people in to my life let's go out and have, do you want to go out and have a cup of tea with me there's several in here that are very good <laughs> would you like to come out because I want to Carol here, uh, I went up to her and I said, I want to get to know you. I am compelled to connect and compelled to be seen because I know um, that comes out of knowing that I will become more when I'm in community. So I have a habit, and the habit is continually striving to create community here when I don't know 99% of the people. And so I go up and say, this is who I am. Would you like to go out and have a cup of tea? It's the habit I brought from the AA program. So I feel more at home because I can do that. And, I, and then I can hear that other person talk to me about who they are. Yes, yes. And I, I think that, that this sense of, I won't ask, I don't know if I should show hands, but you know, here we sit. And, and, and I, I would encourage you, as you're sitting in meditation together, that is a deep way of sharing. And also, the, uh, that is a very strong bond. I know I have felt deep, deep connection with people I've sat with in silence for, for years, days, months. You know, you, there is a connection that happens that as we sit in this way and we, we, we support each other. It's not, we're not, we're, we have a felt sense or we connect in this way. And also, please, because we practice in silence, we have community opportunities. You know, there's someone here baked, treats for us. You know, stay back, have tea, come to some of the sangha gatherings, come to the refuge ceremony, come to some of the other opportunities that have grown up. Or as you said, invite others to tea so that you can have the expansion of including the verbal exchange and exchanging of stories. Mark is including more and more in his um, workshops and reach opportunities for people to come in small group and share in some of the classes. Yes. I just wanted to comment. I think one of the challenges of, of uh, in being in a community where silence is so uh, a central part of it yes. is um, to begin the practice of global silence. I think in experience, like a big workshop or a weekend or a longer retreat. For me, it's been really profound uh, to, to begin to engage how we connect without words and how beautiful it is. And how uncomfortable it was in the beginning. And then the experience of like walking in tones, especially if we give it a day or three days or four days a week. Yeah. And it's like becoming a, for me, it's like becoming a flock of birds with no, how beautiful and heart connecting it, it really is. I was looking, sorry, I was looking for the quote from Thomas Merton, who was, who was, it took a vow of silence and lived in monastic community, and he talked about the importance of this kind of friendship and community. You know, and even in, you know, they go into the monastery where they're with other people sharing that silence. So thank you for that. So yes, one more comment, and then we got to let the kids in. Our kids' sangha has to come in. Yes. Well, actually, I had a couple of things. 
yeah. one was that um, for me it works in a kind of a subtle way because mm-hmm. I'm not a joiner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, when when I noticed uh, after many years of coming here that someone from my workplace was also coming here, mm-hmm. um, it made the workplace so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like we even would necessarily talk to each other after we sit together here. And we certainly don't necessarily communicate a lot at school because we have different schedules and so on. But just knowing that mm-hmm. made a big difference. And the other thing I was going to say is that in both the 12-step meetings and here, one of the things that I respect or one of the things that makes me feel comfortable is that there's a respect for me having my own process. Mm-hmm. And the analogy I see in the 12 steps is the sort of the no cross talk. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't comment on each other. You know, you don't, you know, judge or try to fix or, you know. Yeah, um, so that to me is you're, you're sharing, but nobody's jumping in there giving unwanted, you know, commentary or shallow insights or whatever. <laughs> 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 now Thank I can't judge that. <laughs> Hi, there's our wonderful, beautiful next generation Sangha. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. And we're going to sing together. What a wonderful way to create Sangha. Oh, great. Please, read them. I, I can't remember. We did them yesterday. On page uh, 44, breathing in, breathing out. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Breathe. 
Thank you. So we dedicate any merit from our practice to the benefit awakening of all beings. So have a beautiful rest of the weekend. And there's some announcements, I'm sure. <laughs> You're welcome.